Good morning, His people. Welcome to church this morning again. And uh, I'm so delighted that we are starting a new series. And we are entitling this series, Awesome God. Now, you would have known about it. We've been uh, telling you that the theme for this year's fasting, prayer, and consecration is Awesome God. And so we're going to be having a, a, a preaching series over the next couple of weeks. They're going to track along the same theme of Awesome God. And so today is the first one. And next Sunday we will be online again. And we will, we will keep you posted regarding uh, being online or when we can re- return to in-person services. But God is still an awesome God. And I've just felt so strongly that it's so significant that our theme as an every nation family across the world in more than 80 nations, every nation churches are declaring and preaching and praying and focusing on our awesome God. Uh, And it's so important that we keep our eyes on the Lord. Yes, there's a lot of stuff happening around us. We are not unaware of it. But we want to keep our focus on our awesome God. And I just wanted to unpack first why this, this, this significant title and this theme for this beginning of 2021 of Awesome God. And if you just look at the my screen here, I've said, in this series, we are examining the awesomeness of God through encounters men and women had with Him. Through encounters men and women have had through Him, with Him. In each instance, there is a particular name of God that captures what God revealed about Himself in the encounter. And over many years, we've We've just seen the value of creating places and spaces and that, that people can, in a real way, encounter God, encounter this awesome God for them personally. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at a number of times where people encountered God, but we're going to look at that encounter, but the significant thing that we're going to look to pull out of the encounter is what revelation did they get of God? And in, in many instances in Scripture, you can see where God actually revealed His name to them. And remember, in the Bible, names were so significant. Names weren't just because they sounded nice or they were popular. Names were given because they symbolized who the person was. It really was meant to represent their nature and their character. And we see this in Scripture in the names that are given to God. So as we come on the journey, I want to invite you. I want to invite you not just to an intellectual uh, tick off, oh, that's an interesting thought about God. This is an invitation for you to personally encounter God. And as you encounter God, the revelation that you take, that you get of God, it is it is, it is very often there's a name associated, a character trait that God will want to reveal to you in that encounter that you have with Him personally. So, so come with us on this journey. And so this, uh, this morning we are looking at the name of God of Jehovah, which is the number one name in Scripture for God which is most often translated as Lord, my Lord, the Lord. And we're going to look at where this occurs 
in the book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 to 15. And, and I trust many of you actually know this story. It's the story of where Moses encounters God through the burning bush, at the burning bush in the, in the desert uh, of Midian. And this, this place, God reveals himself and reveals his name as Jehovah. But what does that mean? What did God want to reveal to Moses? This man who was going to lead them out of Egypt. What did he have to know about God so that he could lead them out of Egypt? And we're going we're gonna to study this. But this is actually, the story in Exodus is actually a story within a story. What do I mean by that? Moses wrote about this in Exodus chapter 3, wrote about his burning bush experience. But where was he when he actually wrote about it? He was actually, they were camping in, in the plains of Moab, literally across from the promised land. And I've actually got it on my notes here. When Moses delivered this message to the Israelites, they were camped on the plains of Moab across the valley from Jericho. Remember that fortified city that they, that we know the story, they conquered the city, but they hadn't done that. And they were facing fierce militaristic tribes with a reputation for violence and brutality. The Israelites had no army and no military training. So this is where Moses is. When he's writing the story about his burning bush experience, this is where he is. He's got a whole, a whole nation that he's got to prepare to cross the Jordan and face these violent tribes on the other side of the Jordan. This, this new land that they had to conquer, that they had to take. These guys who had trained armies. And he, here he's sitting with a bunch of, literally, people who were slaves. And they have now got to go and conquer these nations. And, and what is happening over here? Just think about what they were facing on the other side of the Jordan River. And so Moses is telling them stories. He's reminding them of the journey that he's been on with God. He's telling them about his encounter with God to inspire faith and courage in their hearts so that they would be able to cross the Jordan and actually take the land. And we know they did it. But these stories is what inspired a whole nation to take cities like Jericho. And just in my notes here, I'll give you a little bit more to, uh, to paint the picture of where, what was the context that Moses was telling this burning bush story to. Who were the people he was telling the story about the burning bush? And in my notes, they knew that if God did not fight for them, they would be slaughtered, their wives raped, their children sold into slavery. They needed a deep reassurance of God's presence, His power, and His promises. And that is the purpose of Exodus. It was to train them and to equip them so that they would know God's presence, power, and His promises. Because they had a formidable task ahead of them. And, and I'm sure many of you, and if you just think about what they were facing. And, and here we are at the beginning of 2021. As you know, here in South Africa, we once again back at uh, lockdown level 3. 
and and infection rates are just are just going up all across the country and so yes we are facing huge challenges and so let's go back to these stories that inspired a nation to overcome incredible odds as as these people of Israel encountered so let's let's go to the story and and I said it's, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 3, but it's always important and so valuable just to step back a little bit and look at what was happening um, when Moses, and, and what's the background, just a little bit more to the story that Moses is telling them about his burning bush experience. And so we're going here to Exodus chapter 2. We've just backed up uh, just uh, two verses to look at, before Moses has this burning bush experience, what, it, what is happening over here. And, and Moses is writing the story, remember. He says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and cried out for help. They, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. There are just four adjectives that I want to highlight about God. It says God heard. It says that God remembered. And it says um, God saw and God knew. These these verbs, sorry, these verbs about God are so significant. And I particularly just want to highlight the last one. It says that God knew. Here's a nation that are that are slaves in Egypt and they are being brutalized by their Egyptian task masters. And and the story is that they are crying out to be delivered. And it says, the four, the four adjectives, it says that God heard, and that God remembered, and that God saw, and that God knew. And particularly I want to highlight, as I said, this one, God knew. It's, it's the same word that that can be translated God understood. And and I was just thinking of an example of where where as a father so often when your children come and they share some of their struggles that I so often when they share their struggles it's I understand exactly what you what you're explaining. It's the circumstances are different and a particular example I was thinking of was when one of my children came to me and or to us and and was just feeling quite disappointed is maybe a, a good word because they had seen on social media that that some of their friends had been doing something together i can't remember what they were doing but the point was that if friends had been doing something together and they hadn't been included they hadn't been invited to this thing that their friends were going together and although the circumstances are different, and it is, whatever, 30, 40 years since I was in the same place, 
I could understand, I could feel with my child how they felt about being excluded from this this social gathering that whatever these kids were doing. And I believe it's the same with Father God. God was looking at these people and He understood. And why can we say that He knew, God knew? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus came. We serve a God that isn't just high and aloof. We serve a God that came down and walked these dusty streets um, and, and, and lived the same life that we lived. And I was just reminded of the scripture in Hebrews where it says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers, speaking about Jesus in Hebrews 2.17. In every way, in every way he's been made like us. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the picture of our God. A God who knows. A God who understands. And, and through, through, throughout the years, this concept that my God understands what I'm going through, what I'm facing, has made such a difference. And here we see this picture of a God that understands. And let's just go on, because in chapter 3, this is now where we get into the burning bush story. And it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now we're going to come back to this mountain of God again, you'll see in the story. And in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, and out of the midst of the bush. Just want to highlight that in the Old Testament, Bible scholars agree that when the Bible mentions the angel of the Lord, that this is our Lord Jesus that Scripture is speaking about here. It says, And Moses, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. In other words, it wasn't burning up. And I don't know if you've ever seen a bush burn, but a bush doesn't have much substance to it. It's not like thick logs that would burn for a while. A bush, if a fire goes through a bush, within seconds the bush is actually just burnt down to nothing. And so this was the thing I think that was most significant to Moses was, hey, that bush should have burnt up within a few seconds. A bush doesn't have substance, but it's not. And, and what's happening here is God is getting Moses' attention through a supernatural encounter. And, I, and let's not play down that, that maybe this wasn't. I want to submit to you, there are times where we just need God to just break through in a supernatural way in our lives. To get our attention. I know some people say, man, you know, I, I, I don't need the supernatural. You know, I've got the Word. I've got the Holy Spirit. Hey, why would we want to limit God? Just just arresting our attention. And and just literally. And, and you know what's interesting about the story? The description of Him keeping His flocks. In, in the original language, the, 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 the description of Moses' life is... It's kind of like it's kind of boring. It's quite mundane. He's just kind of trekking around the desert with his with his flocks, looking for grazing. It's, it's nothing much exciting, and not much has been happening for the last forty years in Moses' life. 
But here, suddenly, bam, he sees this burning bush. Now, I just wanted to also mention the, the timescales we're looking at here. Moses is, is, is telling the story and writing the story near the end of his life. The children of Israel are about to enter the promised land. But he knows that he's not going to enter. So he has to, he has to, he's literally pouring out his life. He's giving his all to them. But this story had happened after he'd been in the desert for 40 years. He had literally just been the shepherd for 40 years. And so Moses' life can be divided up into these very convenient forces three sections of 40 years. The first 40 years is where he grew up in Pharaoh's palace and he thought he was something. And we see that when, when he, he lit, the, the, the story is, he tried to be Israel's deliverer in his own strength. And he saw an Israelite taskmaster beating up an Israelite and he literally attacked this guy and the and story is told he killed the guy and buried him in a shallow grave. And then he heard the Israelites talking about it and, and the, the news got out that he had killed an Egyptian. And, and then Pharaoh basically wanted to kill Moses. And so he had to flee. He had to flee into this desert place. And, and just think about what he must have experienced. Firstly, he is running from the law. He's a fugitive. Um, he he knew that that if Pharaoh got a hold of him, he would have been executed summarily. His own people had rejected him. His attempt to try and help them, they had rejected him. And here he is in the desert, and he's just been a shepherd, a lowly shepherd, from being in Pharaoh's household, being in the elite class of society. Now, for the last forty years, he's just been a lowly shepherd, and so Moses is in a very different place. When he had tried to take things in his own hands, he was a young, yeah, cocky, full of himself, um, yeah, young man. Now, he, when this story happens, the burning bush, he's, he's in his close to 80 years old and he's been shepherding for the last 40 years. And he needed, he needed a supernatural encounter with God for God just to get his attention. And this is what happens over here. Um, verse 3, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. So it wasn't just the fire, it was the fact that the bush wasn't burning. But it says here, I will turn aside. And I think those words are probably on this, uh, in this scripture where the words that jumped out, he turned aside. Are you okay? Are you ready? Is your heart set? Are, are you ready to turn aside to the Lord? Literally when we go next week uh, from Monday to Friday, when we, when we commit to a time of prayer and fasting and consecration, it is a time to set aside our hearts towards the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to set our hearts towards the Lord. Are you ready to set your Set your heart aside to seek God. And, and that's what happens. And let's look, look what, goes, what, what happens. So verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. 
God sees is what verse 4 says when we turn aside. You know, if Moses hadn't turned aside, I'm not sure we would have had the rest of the story. Who knows? The fact is, the Bible says the Lord saw that he had turned aside. You know, I've often wondered why when we, when we take time out to seek God, why, I think when we look back in our lives, it's always such significant times. We have such significant encounters with God. And I believe it is because the Lord sees when we turn aside to Him. And more comes because He turned aside. It says that so clearly. And, and the Lord saw that He turned aside to see and God called to Him. God called him once he saw that Moses had turned aside to him. And, and again, I'm saying, when you turn aside to God, God sees. And who knows what the Lord is going to say to you, and he's going to say to me next week, when we turn aside to the Lord, when we, when we consecrate ourselves to him. The Lord says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He responds to the voice of God. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. What's interesting here is this tension of the Lord calling him, but then saying, don't come too close. And I believe it's just so important. I'm so often just brought, brought the reality of that this is God we are seeking. This is God we are seeking. And, and I believe this, this sense of God's holiness and purity is, is an important aspect of when we come to seek God. But I'd also just want to say that this is a man who's seeking God who has not experienced the redemption that God provided through his son Jesus Christ. Yes, Moses was coming in faith, etc. But I do believe having experienced and having surrendered your life to Jesus who's fully paid the price to, to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness, all our sin. It, it is very significant how, how somebody in the Old Testament approached God and how we, because of Jesus, approach God. That does not mean that we don't also have that high sense of this is God we are approaching. This is God we are seeking. This isn't just your, your mate next door. This is God. And just to remember that in our turning aside, that, that it, is, it is a significant thing to seek God. The other thing I just want to highlight is, again, when the Lord is mentioning, I'm the God of your father, the father, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is God saying that? He's remembering covenant. In the previous uh, uh, few scriptures, again, remember the Lord remembered His covenant. And, and for us as New Testament saints, as, as New Covenant believers, when you understand covenant 
and, and the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God, it makes such a difference in how you approach God. And so I'm not going to unpack just the significance of covenant in these scriptures, but covenant language is just all over these scriptures. And more important than covenant language, the reality of God being a faithful covenant-keeping God is just so full of this burning bush story and so full of just Moses' um, exhortation to these Israelites as they're looking across from the plains of Moab across into, into their promised land. The remembrance that God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And Scripture says even, even if, if we are unfaithful, He remains faithful. He is faithful to His covenants. just so beautiful whenever you come across covenant language to remember that that is who God is. And um, let's go to the next slide, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Again, he's reiterating just God's heart. He's a God of compassion. Verse 8. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Okay, there are, there are a lot of ites in the land. just want to highlight a couple of points. Firstly that, yes, the, the land wasn't vacant land. And they needed to warfare to take the land. And I just want to say, just important for us to remember that there's always warfare involved in us possessing our promised land. And, but the Lord still describes it as a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, even though there are all the ites in the land. And we need to, and remember, that was the difference between the two, the, the two sets of spies, the one set of spies just saw all the ites and the other two, the Josh and the Caleb, saw the milk and the honey. And again, remember the story of two men looking out of a, out of a prison um, window. One man looked up and saw the stars. The other man looked down and saw the mud. And, and beginning of 2021, I'm so amazed at social media how, how some people are so cynical about the new year and cynical about... Yeah, making commitments and New Year's resolutions. It's, there's so much cynicism around. Again, there's so many people looking at the mud. So many people just looking at all the ites in the land. Yes, there are ites in the land. It's not that we don't see them. It's just it's not our main focus. We focus on God, on His promises, on His presence, and on, on what He has in the promised land and the promised land He has for us. And so it also says in verse 8, it says, I have come down to deliver them out of the land. I have come down. And, and I, when I was reading that, I was like, wow, you kind of get this picture of God's coming down. Can you imagine like, like a chariot of fire with a couple of uh, thousand angel armies behind him? He's coming down. And, and I don't know what Moses imagined when the Lord said this. Okay, we're going to see some action. 
But what does this look like? What does it look like? God's coming down and He's going to deliver them from Egypt. Okay, So in that moment, it's like, wow, are we going to see more burning chariots? And what does this look like? Well, let's read on. Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. (laughs) So this is God coming down to deliver them. This is what it looks like. I will send you. Wow. I'm, I, I was just kind of, I found it quite, quite amusing, the language in the previous few scriptures, like God's coming down, we're burning bushes, and then God says, I'm going to send you. But this is how God works. God chooses to use earthen vessels, men and women with feet of clay like you and me, to bring deliverance to his people, to bring people out of their captivity, to bring them into the kingdom of God. He uses people like you and me. He uses people like Moses. He uses people like you and me. That is, for some people, what the great coming down looks like. I mean, our, the, 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 the man who shared the gospel with me, I think I only met him once in his life at a high school um, assembly in 1985. A man came. God came down. But how did he, how did he come down and, and transfer me into the kingdom of, of light? He used a man who came to a high school assembly and used some slides to present the gospel. And it made sense. And I prayed a prayer that changed my life. I've n- I don't know if I've ever seen him since. 1985 is 35 years ago. It's quite a long time ago. And... I met him once, but how did God come down to me? Through a guy who came to our high school and presented the gospel. And I want to say to you, who is God sending you to? It's probably some work colleagues, could be some family members, could be some friends. It could be your neighbor. For, for your neighbor, you may be their, na- their Moses. The, the one who comes into their lives and brings hope and brings and brings them out of their Egypt. And so this story of Moses is 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 a story that's really aimed at every one of us. It says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses, here we go, but Moses, and I'm hearing for those of you who are objecting and saying, I'm not Moses, here we go. Let's see how God deals with Moses' objections. And actually in the next couple of verses, we're not going to look at all of them, Moses brings up quite a few objections. Don't worry, whatever your objection is, why you are not the right person to go to your work colleague or your neighbor, etc. Let me tell you, God has, has an answer. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh. Okay, who's it for you? Your neighbor, your brother, your, your cousin, your uncle. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let's go on. And this is what the Lord said. And he said, 
but I will be with you. I will be with you. You know, this theme of God being with His people, being with the people of God, the children of Israel, it's really one of the main themes running through the whole book of Exodus. Moses is telling them, hey, look across the river. You see those fortified cities, etc. We don't even have an army. How are we going to take it? Well, we're going to take that land because God is with us. I don't know what you are looking at. As you look over into your 2021, I don't know what you're seeing. I don't know what fortified cities you're seeing. I don't know what, let's say, let's bring it down to people, what what kind of barriers you see people are putting up to the hope that is within us, Christ within us. I don't know what those barriers are. But let me tell you, God is with you. God is with you. And so it doesn't matter what the walls are. It doesn't matter what the objections are. God is with you. To just about any objection that you have, God is with you literally is the answer. But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you. Now, now, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. That I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Remember I said in those first few verses, the Lord mentioned this mountain, the Lord mountain, Mount uh, Horeb. It's literally the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given. A lot of, lot of, lot of awesome stuff happened around this mountain. But the Lord's sign to Moses was, I'm going to bring you and when I bring you out, you're going to come back to this mountain. I can just imagine what must have happened in Moses' um, just whole soul as they coming across from the Red Sea and they're coming into uh, and they're traveling and he sees Mount Horeb. He sees the mountain. We had this burning bush experience. We met God. We had to take off his sandals and just what it did to Moses. And God this is God's promise, he says, and, and this is the sign that I will be with you, is that you will come back to this mountain. And the Lord is here giving a reminder, not about the mountain, it's a reminder that he's with them. It's a reminder. What are the things that, that God has placed in your life to remind you that he's with you so that you can cross your Jordan into your promised land? So that you can be the Moses to the children of Israel, to your uncles and aunts and work colleagues that he's calling you to be. It says, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So he's asking, remember I, I said at the beginning, that in every encounter, so here, this burning bush encounter, what is the name? And remember, the name is actually revealing the nature of God. What is the nature of God that God is wanting to reveal to Moses through this encounter? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And here we go. This is what the Lord says, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Those words, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abram, 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Covenant language again. Three times in this portion of scripture, covenant language has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this is, this is uh, the last scripture we're going to look at and we're going to finish with this. The Lord says, I am who I am. And what does it mean when the Lord says, I am who I am? I'm going to unpack it a little bit, but I, 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 I remember when I first read this and, and I was just like, you know, I am is, is not a complete thought. It's not a complete sentence. It's, 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 it's unfinished. And I remember, I remember just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, surely you should say I am and say something more. And there was just the sense of, I remember getting the sense of, I am dot, dot, dot. And, and, and I just got the sense, I am who you need me to be in every circumstance. Fill in the dot, dot, dot. I want to just put some, so this is from my notes up here. This is, this is what I am means. It means God is and was and always will be. Remember, it's not I was or it's not I, sh- I shall be. It is I am. It's present continuous. Do you realize that in I am, it literally reveals his presence in the present tense. It's a present tense statement. It means he's with you now, right where you are. It's not he was with you and not he will be you. I am. He's there with you right now. Secondly, God is absolute reality and there is no reality outside of him the the age old question what is reality reality is God everything else on this planet changes God doesn't he's absolute reality thirdly God is dependent on no one or nothing fourthly God is perfect and cannot be improved I am he's not changing he's not being eroded he's he's he is perfect and cannot be improved. God is the standard of all truth, all goodness, and all beauty. And finally, God is Lord of all. And I want to just go back to the scripture again, because it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, and I've highlighted it over there for you, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abram, of Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is my name forever. That, the, these two little words, The Lord, is the what's written in the Hebrew language there is the word Yahweh. Now, in the to the to the Hebrews, this word he, Yahweh was so holy that they didn't actually 
uh, write the word or pronounce it because it was so holy to them they didn't and so um, in, 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 in modern Bible translators have actually not been sure how to write or how to pronounce that word it doesn't have any vowels in the word and uh, a, a, mod, a more modern translation of that word is the word Jehovah and that is the word and the name of God that we are looking at this morning is the word Jehovah. And and this word Jehovah in most English translations is translated as Lord or the Lord or our Lord or my Lord. It occurs over six and a half thousand times in the Bible. Yes, you heard six and a half thousand times in the Bible. This is, if there was a a proper name for God. As there are a number of names in Scripture. This would be it. The, 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 the numero uno, the number one name for God in Scripture is the Lord. Jehovah or Yahweh. Same, same word, different translations. It is the Lord. And the Lord says, This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations it is it's so interesting um, that for example when the apostle Paul was going to persecute and arrest Christians on the road to Damascus when Jesus Christ appears to him in a blinding light and he falls to the ground his response is Lord he knew that this was the Lord. The word Jehovah, the word Yahweh, is the word that he uses to, to, to and, and, and in his Hebrew training in mind, he was, this is the Lord. And we see this even in the New Testament, the term the Lord is used just time and time again. And so we see that through this burning bush encounter, the Lord reveals himself to Moses as the Lord I am, as God, the God who is present and the God who doesn't change and the God who is ever present. And he was saying to Moses, and Moses, remember, is saying this to the children of Israel, that Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, your Lord, is with you. How can you, with no trained army, take on these nations that, that, that have a history of warfare? How can you do it? One thing, the Lord is with you. Jehovah, Yahweh is with you. That is how you're going to do it. That is, as, as Moses says in Exodus 33, that is the thing that sets them apart. That is the thing that that makes them different to all the other nations. It is the fact that God is with them. It is the fact that they are His people. It is the Lord gave our church that name many years ago. The fact that we are His people means we are His, but it means that He is with us. And so, as we faint, face, yeah, very challenging circumstances, looking into 2021. One thing we can know, God is with us. Jehovah is with us. Yahweh is with us. 
the Lord is with us. The same God who was with Moses when when he looks down and he says, I'm going to rescue the people, you're the one. That's how I'm going to do it. He's the same God who was with Moses in the burning bush, who, who went with Moses to the people of Israel in Egypt, got them out of Egypt. He's the same God who was with those that same nation when they were on the wrong side of the Jordan looking forward to the promised land and he brought them through in every circumstance and so can we this morning remember that God is with us Jehovah the Lord Yahweh is with us and that is a deal breaker that makes all the difference that God is with us I am is with us can we pray? And so, Lord, I just want to thank you for, for just the life on your scriptures. God, may every one of us know I am. Not just as words, but I am as a reality. May know the reality of your presence, the reality that you are with us, Lord. Whether we feel you or not has, is not the issue. The reality is you are with us. You are with us. And that makes all the difference, Lord. And so Jehovah, Yahweh, Lord, we thank you that you are with us, Lord. And Lord, we are amazed and marvel, Lord, that you call people like Moses and people like us to be your agents of deliverance. To be the ones that you send into Egypt. Lord, there are people in bondage in Egypt all around us. They are family members and colleagues. And God, we often feel so overwhelmed. We often feel so inadequate. We can so much identify with Moses. In all his excuses as to why not me, Lord, use somebody else. But Lord, because you're with us, you will use us and use us to bring people out of their Egypts, bring them into the kingdom of light, bring them into their promised land. And so Lord, we say, here we are Lord, here we are, we we say, use us in the same way you used Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.